Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Squad. We're going to take a little blast into the past and talk to Captain Kurt Wolf about his soon-to-be uh, retirement here on May 13th and uh, dive into the 35 years he's been at the police department and his his outlook on the future of policing. It was a, it was a really good talk. I hope you enjoy. Right. The light is green. Okay. All right. We ready? Well, we do uh, appreciate you being here this morning. So we made it. He told me I'm available, but make it after nine o'clock. I'm on vacation. I said, deal. Vacation. (laughs) Yes. And then we obviously had to make sure you were here, Patty. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't just like book me the next day. Well, you can blame. He's a busy person. We just didn't realize your schedule was just that busy, you know, that now, hectic. I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of important. You're a, you're a big deal. Ooh. You're a big deal. Hey, I knew that. You need to cut that out. That, that's, Let's that's be clear. Not, I that's knew that. No, we don't need to that's cut in that out. No. No, no, you just, you just need me because I'm common sense, see? <laughs> yeah. You bring balance to the force. <laughs> balance. Yeah, we're going to do yoga after this, guys. We are? I mean, gentlemen, coworkers. Yeah, I'll take Good. a pass on the yoga. What? No, you can do it. No. So you obviously didn't see yoga. me walking my dog last night, and how much of a chore that was. I I see you and your wife walking that dog. That dog gets walked a lot. Yeah, that dog walks us. <laughs> does anybody do hot yoga? No. Tom does it hot yoga. It is intense. You've you, done, have you done hot yoga. No, I've never done. I'm I've never you. done yoga, but I probably should. Hot yoga. I need it. Is awesome. It's awesome. Everybody should try hot yoga one time. Agreed. I totally agree. Absolutely. I totally agree. I think we've got a maybe a, a you know, real topic quick. for another podcast. <laughs> I've had a lot of coffee this morning, so I'm on like my mind's going everywhere. This might be like a super special podcast because Captain Wolf is leaving, but I know. somebody else might be leaving the podcast too because captains can't have fun. Well, you and I'm going to make you a T-shirt okay. that says that. All right, so that that hasn't been decided, and actually, the person that gets to decide that is me. So, don't decide that then. I'm Brian. not. Brian. I've, I've decided to keep kicking that can down the road. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's. I super just love sp- the fact that he came in like kicking and screaming, and now he likes being here. No, All right. So well, thir- thirty-five years, Captain Kurt Wolf retiring. Yes, that's sir. a long time. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. Thank you. We appreciate you being here with us today. It's my pleasure. We appreciate you being here in Lafayette for 35 years on the Lafayette Police Department. Has it kicked in yet that you're done? Uh, Not yet. It probably will um, May 13th. (laughs) Is that the last day? That's my last day. Wow, that's a long time. Official last day on the books. Yeah. Official last day. I get to come in, turn in my badges, and get my retirement badge. And then sail off into the sunset? Never know. We need, we need to just pause for a moment and wipe the tears from our eyes. <laughs> I'm happy for him. I'm I, what, happy. I'm, I have a little bit of experience with um, people who have retired from police yes, work. Yes, you do. And there, you need to be aware of a few things, you know, that, that this – Although it's a job, it really defines a large part of you, and you're going to have to find a new center, I think, new center of balance to define yourself. Are we back to the yoga thing now? Maybe. I'm kind of 
See what she's trying to talk you into? I'm new age this yeah, morning, pretty, aren't I? Yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> it's pretty deep. Yes. He's like, I just want to enjoy my retirement. And I hope you do. <laughs> he had no idea what this podcast was about, did he? Let's talk about Kurt. <laughs> Not really. Let's talk about Kurt. So 35 years. So how do you feel? How do you feel? I mean, is it? I, f- I feel very good, actually. Um, I'm sad um, in respect that, like Patty said, you know, a big part of me is going to be not there every day anymore. Um, but I'm also glad that um, I was blessed to serve and that I've done my time and um, it's time to move on. Are you going to continue to work? Yes, I am. I know. I know he's not going to tell me. I'm just trying to really, I'm just trying to see if I can't why, get him to tell me. Why are you looking at me right now? I, so I, are, at I, least actually, tell me I, actually, I can tell you. I, um, Is it outside of law enforcement? Uh, Kind of. Oh, okay. Um, I, I've been offered a job with the city, and I'm going to be the assistant safety and security director for the parts department. Oh, cool. Good for you. So then Rankin's boss, is that? No, Rankin is my boss. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's going to be a lot, a lot of challenges in a new position. It will be, but um, it's it's you know I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, uh, you know, obviously since I'm going to be in the parks a lot, it's still going to be that juvenile connection that I've had for you know 30 years, um, and working with the younger um, staff there. Um, hopefully, I can supervise them and you know lead them to be. Most of them are um, working towards law enforcement careers and so hopefully i can um help them out and give them a little experience a little uh yeah <laughs> a little guidance yeah a little guidance well yeah. congrats good for you yeah i think i think you're going to be going to be great at that because let's face it you're not the most intimidating guy you're just you're super friendly and, and approachable and i think that's what they need at the parks somebody who is in a position of authority and will be taken seriously but not scary you're not scary kurt i appreciate that i never wanted to be scary but um i don't think i was maybe when i was in patrol and i was a little bit uh larger than i am right now back back in the day <laughs> back in the day Back in the late 80s. I mean, I know some of you. Well, Ian, were you even born then? Well, so I was going to ask you that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not born? the greatest at math. I, I love so. that. That's a shot right off the bat. <laughs> right on. Isn't it? 35 years ago. So you got hired on in? March of 1984. I was born a little over a year later. Huh. August of 85. So he so could be your son. That. Think of that. Your entire life. I've been in this job. Yeah, I was thinking about that uh, last night after we had this discussion. I knew this was going to happen. I'm like, wow, that's a long time. You know, I was. But that's cool, though. I mean, it is very cool. And I was thinking last night, too, in my head, how many how many different chiefs that you have served under. And I and I counted up and I don't know if this is right, but I had five. That's correct. That is correct. Five different chiefs. Three mayors. Mm -hmm. Three Mm -hmm. mayors and five different chiefs. I can name them all. Yeah. Going back to um, Ron Milks. Yep. And then Leach. Tom Leach. And then Gene Reed. And then Don Roush and Pat Flanley. 
Interesting. And and you've served in all three divisions as a captain. I have. Which is impressive. And spent quite a bit of time in detectives. Yeah, most uh, of my career has been in detectives in one way or the other. Um, both as a detective. A ju- I was assigned uh, in the juvenile division for seven years. And then back as a lieutenant in detectives in the juvenile division. Well, let's go way back. Let's start at the beginning. Why, why police work? Um, it's something I've, I've wanted to do since I was like 12. Um, my father, I grew, was born and raised in Logansport, Indiana, and my father was a big um, construction guy, and he knew all the officers, all the police people, and um, there was uh, several state troopers that would stop by the house, um, and one of them in particular... I was always impressed with him, so I always thought I wanted to be a state trooper. Well, once I got into on, into that realm later, um, I realized that state troopers uh, was not the way I wanted to go. I wanted to be in a city and be a detective. So that's kind of um, was my goal since about 12. And you're a Ball State graduate, correct? Yeah, yeah graduated in Ball State in 1981. Uh, back a few years and uh, in criminal justice so um, so siblings you have siblings yeah, a few oh, okay <laughs> any <laughs> of them going to law enforcement or did was there anybody in law enforcement in the family there were there are not any right now um, I'm one of ten kids oh wow. uh, okay yeah so my Brother, um, my oldest brother worked for the FBI for a little while in their forensic division. Um, he couldn't become an agent because, unfortunately, his eyes weren't good enough. And then I had a brother that um, worked for a younger brother that worked for Indianapolis Police Department for a, a short time. But okay. uh, I'm pretty much the only law enforcement sibling. Okay. So you you and I have had a lot of conversations over the years, and I mean for. For the audience, anyway, I mean, you you were a, a mentor to me throughout my career, when I, and I greatly appreciate that. But some of the conversations we've had, it was funny you were telling me about the starting salary when you got hired as a police officer in, in 84 or 85? 84. 84. It was just over $17,000. Um, but that's not, I mean, that's a year. $17,000 that, that was a, a lot year. of money. That well, was decent the, money in 84. When I graduated from college, um, I took a job with the Cass County Sheriff's Department, which is in Logansport, as a jailer dispatcher. And my starting salary there was $7,700. 7700 Yeah. Really? Yes. So what made you – oh, wow. Okay. So what made you cho- choose Lafayette? Did you just start applying everywhere? Um, yeah, I started applying to several uh, agencies. Um, you know, I am – Indianapolis, uh, State Police, um, Carmel, different areas like that. Um, During that time, it was pretty hard to get a uh, job position. And I had a friend that went to, was going to Purdue, and she (laughs) heard on the radio that Lafayette was hiring. And um, she called me up and said, hey, they're hiring. So I got in contact with the PD, and at that time, Sergeant Kevin Gibson, I'm sure some of you oh, remember him, okay. um, was in charge of hiring. And so I came over, filled out the paperwork, and, you know, I went through one uh, session of merit board 
Um, there was two two openings, and four of us went up. I did not get that one, but then I got the next one in March. Interesting. You know, it's funny. So you said it was seventeen thousand that you made because mm-hmm. I remember talking to at the time Captain Gibson because he he was on my captain's board and uh, he had told me that he started off at twelve thousand. So that makes sense, Big right? Jump, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was your original badge number, Kurt? It was two oh one. And what are we hiring at now? Anybody? Oh, four fifty-six. Yeah, I think four fifty-six or four fifty-seven was the last one. So, Ian, math. Uh, well, you can I'll do that get one. back to you. You can do that. Uh, one. <laughs> it's a long time. Yeah, don't look at this end over here for the math. All right. So, Kurt, there's been about two hundred and fifty police officers hired since you were in Lafayette Police Department. Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. That's awesome. Uh, so how many cops were a part of Lafayette Police Department in the 80s or 84? If I remember correctly, probably 77, 78, okay. right around in there. And why was it so difficult to get a job at that time? Um, well, it's kind of politically incorrect right now, but affirmative action was uh, very um, important mm-hmm. at that time. So um, the hiring process was different, but uh, now uh, obviously we don't have that those issues. But, um, but you know, a lot of people were going into the field, and there weren't a lot of positions open. So. Okay. And so the process now, what, what's the what's the big difference between how we go through the hiring process now and then? And then is there a big difference? Uh, not. There, I think there is a big difference on the the people that were hired prior to me. I was one, at least this was told to me by um, Chief Milks at the time, I was one of the first uh, officers that went through the whole um, medical exam, psychological exam, physical fitness standards, those kind of things. Um, they didn't have those, those issues prior, or not issues, but those... Um, that part of the uh, hiring process prior to to my coming on. So. Oh, okay. Did you polygraph background? They did all that? Polygraph background, everything. Okay. So that, that was part of it, but the physical, the medical examination and all that kind of things um, weren't done until. What was the PT test that you had to go through? Is it the Cooper standard? It was a, um, I still remember it pretty well. It was out at the range, and it was basically a, um, obstacle course you know he had to jump through a window you know straddle a go over a six foot wall um drag a dummy um that kind of thing that was the pt test there was no running or push-ups or anything like that so once you got hired on then what was the process i mean did you go through a training program did you have to go to the academy how did that work um i i uh see i went to the academy in september so i worked uh, with an FTO, I mean that that process hasn't really changed much. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, there was still the FTO program, and then I went to the academy and came back, and then uh, finished out with the FTO program. So it in- took about at that time nine to ten months, usually for a normal recruit to get through. Sure, we'll say that. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think what's kind of fascinating it in 35 years in your career, um, what I mean you've seen a, a major transformation of this profession. What's stuck out 
the most to you, the, the change? I would say technology, the, the um, you know, what we have access to immediately now and from a technology standpoint, an information standpoint, and a um, just, a, you know, the tools that you have is so much different. I mean, seriously, my first squad car uh, that I, you know, had, I mean, we were, obviously didn't have take-homes then, had a, a two-channel radio, you know, and that was it. And then, um, you know, AM radio, uh, vinyl seats, it was you know, Dodge Diplomat. So it was a lot different. And you walk into a car now, um, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, it Tons of seems like you have to have a degree just to, you know, run the thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like a cockpit. Kind of, yeah. It is. Very much. And, and back in the day, we all had scanners at home, and it was easy to hear you guys on the radio because there were only two channels. Right. So, so one thing I've noticed, even in my, compared to yours, definitely my short time here, you know, the difference in because we're growing so much, I feel like the you kind of know everybody feels going away. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you, at one time you you almost knew everybody you ran into and now that's not so much the case. So in the 80s, when you were policing here, I feel like community community policing was probably very prevalent and much easier because Lafayette was smaller and everybody knew everybody. Is that fair? Yeah, that is fair. Um, I think there was not, you know, in the way we worked evenings or evenings and midnights um, with district integrity, you knew everybody in your district pretty much. If you were a good district officer, you knew everybody. And if you didn't know them, you stopped them and talked to them, you know. Um, But by and large, uh, the information was, you know, the local guys and everybody knew who everybody was and you worked at it from that end. So that's, I mean, that's an interesting topic that we can we can kind of delve into a little bit because I think, you know, where a lot of agencies are today with um, deployment of the resources that they have, you know, that that is that something you think for the future of law enforcement that maybe doesn't go by the wayside but is something that suffers? Is that engagement by officers in a lot of neighborhoods that may not necessarily have hot spots or problems that require law enforcement attention but are not getting that interaction with police officers on a, a semi-regular basis where they know you know the officers that 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 cover their their neighborhoods i think i i, I think it's changed in the way we deal with that kind of thing but i also think that that's not a lost art um as as well i you know I mean, just look at today. We have email. We put out information, and almost immediately someone on the department knows that person. Someone on that department has an address. Someone on, that, on this department has that, and that's, that's fantastic. That really is, um, you know, I think policing 101, knowing your people and, you know, being able to, to put that information out. I think we're doing a better job at so we know the people that we're dealing with on a regular basis, but do we know the people that aren't necessarily, you know, the law-abiding citizens that aren't committing crimes? Do you think that you knew those those people as well uh, in the 80s or, you know, when you started early on? Um, 
you knew everybody, not just the people that were committing crimes. You knew everyone. And now I don't think it's so much the case just because we don't have the manpower and, and the time to, to walk that beat, I guess you would say. Uh, but with like the community outreach and what we do, I, I feel like we're trying to reconnect with that and try to reach out to those individuals that, you know, don't get in trouble and, and, and don't have any interaction with the police. Do you see us? I mean, do you think that's important? I guess there's a lot of questions there. Yeah, I, I think it's really important. And, and you do um, get to know people in your area, you know, the good and the bad. Um, I think there's more focus on the bad right now, um, mainly because it, it seems like Lafayette's turned into a much more transient city. Um, you see more people come and go, mm-hmm. uh, moving all over the city. Um, so it's a little harder to keep up with those kind of things. But um, <clears throat> I think community, um, especially uh, the young, the younger engagement that we do, you know, yeah. those, those programs and that kind of stuff with the the kids and the, you know. Yeah. So it, maybe one of the challenges moving forward is is striking that balance is is making sure that um you know obviously we have you know community outreach efforts and i think we do a really good job and compared to a lot of agencies with that but you know for for the patrol officers that are out there on the beat working every single day you know you do tend to to spend 80 percent of your time focusing on um, those those issues that are problems and you know unfortunately i think a lot of a lot of the law-abiding citizens and the good community members are not necessarily seeing the patrol officers in their neighborhoods on as as often as they used to because of that. So I don't know. I guess I look at that as a that's a challenge moving forward. I think for a lot of agencies, when you when you start looking at you know the data that comes in and you start deploying resources, you also have to strike that balance to make sure that those those neighborhoods that you're not focused on because of you know particular efforts are not being ignored i would agree i can sit here and pick your brain all day about this stuff but i don't know if necessarily people are as interested as you and i yeah but maybe not so it's a rabbit hole we don't it want is to. a rabbit hole so since you're here you know 35 years what uh i guess we'll start off with what's impacted him the most is that the oh i, I think that'd be great kurt through your career what case or arrest had the biggest impact on you personally? Um, personally, there was a, I, I was a juvenile detective, um, and we worked. Uh, I worked a pretty, you know, I don't want to get too graphic, but a pretty horrific um, child molest case. Um, basically, a fourteen-year-old female had been molested by her stepfather since the time she was four. Um, she finally got tired of it. She climbed out her window of her house and walked down to the police department and came in and I was happened to be working, working and, um, me and my partner, should I name my partner? You can, we all know him. Mayor John Dennis was my partner then, um, took her, took her report. And, um, I mean, it was, it was pretty extensive. Um, and she was a brave, brave, uh, girl. She came in, she gave us, and finally, we brought him in, and um, after he was met with our interrogation, and he had also 
uh, photographed several of the instances, and we found those, and, and he, he confessed. And um, he got 140 years for that, and she, um, to this day, um, is a different person because of that. So that was one of my first ones that, that really told me that you really can make a difference in this job in people's lives. And, you know, obviously in 35 years, there are so many cases that, that you know, the homicides that I've worked, the, the child molestings, the, you know, the uh, anything, all the people crimes that, that you do, it, it really does um, mean a lot to the victims and to you. And um, it's something that, that is very rewarding and has its, its challenges. Um, you see things, quite honestly, that people shouldn't see. Uh, you find out about people treating other people in the most horrific ways uh, that you shouldn't really know about, in my opinion, sometimes. But um, it's those cases and those kind of things that really do make a difference in the community and to the people that, that we serve in, this posi- you know, in these positions. It's probably too early to ask, but do you think you'll be able to, you know, once you retire, be able to move away from that mindset, you know, constantly questioning and, you know? Yes, that's going to be hard. Um, I think, you know, and and especially if I'm going to be doing the same kind of things, I'm not totally out of law enforcement being the park safety and security director, assistant director, Um, but it's it's going to be different um you know it, it you always know what's going on you know and yeah. that's that's going to change um i'll i'll be honest i'm not going to i'm not going to uh um miss the 2 3 o'clock in the morning phone calls of a case that you got to come in and you know all the the um information the cad texting and all that kind of stuff that goes on throughout the night um, I'm going to miss coming in and, and working um, with the great teams that are here, but I'm not going to miss that, <laughs> oh, <I bet. laughs> that phone call. No, there's, I'm sure there are some things that are just a part of you now. <clears throat> For example, you go to a restaurant, you sit down, I bet you face the door, don't you? I do. Yeah. yeah. It's just things that you've done for so many years, and it's just how you are. You, you will always have that awareness about you. Yes, and you're always, you know, you're kind of on your toes, you know, all the time, you know, and you kind of keep an eye out. Um, And it's funny you say that, you know, and and we talk about how I have a a daughter and a son. They're grown and and obviously out of the house and out of Lafayette, but um, they knew that. You know, they they know where Dad wanted to sit when we went to a restaurant. You know, they knew when um, we were walking down the mall and someone said, hi to me, um, I would kind of give them a little heads up whether that was a good high or a bad high, yeah. you know, if you know what I mean. Um, so, you know, and they grew up with that, you know, and, and they grew up with, you know, dad coming home late and, and uh, I tried not to miss any ball games and, as much as I could, but there's still times that, um, that, that that does affect you, you know, the long hours the, and it's, it's rough on a family. So you, you touched on a few things. Do you think there's anything um, that truly impacted your family that, you know, as far as being a cop that you could see that you're like, wow, maybe you could go back and try to change or? 
Um, I think um, I, I didn't know about, and, and this is being trained now, about the hypovigilance, you know, about how you have to come home and, and um, decompress. At the time, I knew I was tired a lot, you know, and, and um, up watching the kids. And, and um, I, you know, it's kind of funny, look back on some pictures, and I'm on the couch a lot, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> with, with the kids. And I didn't realize that that was a syndrome that I was going through. And I kind of wish I knew that then that I know now. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So knowing that now, what do you think could help uh, prevent other officers from going into that? What do you think they could do or we as an agency can do if we're not already doing it? I think I think just knowing that and then educating the families themselves about what what that is um, and what they're and you know what the officers are going through I think would relieve a lot of I mean if you can explain it to your kids or you can explain it to your wife or significant others you it it makes sense it, what, looking back on it it really does make sense and that would maybe make sense to them instead of it turning into uh, well you're you know. You're never engaged. You're never mentally here. Yeah. And, you know, so that, that does, I think, make a change. And I think the department is doing um, a pretty good job in, in doing that um, with uh, Dr. Will Miller and, and those kind of, you know, talks and different stuff like that. You know, we had we had two new officers that were sworn in a week ago, uh, maybe two weeks ago. And part of that process um, involves a, a discussion with Dr. Will, and he's been on this podcast, and he's pretty well-known, I think, throughout the country. But So Dr. Will and I spoke at the luncheon after after the swear-in that we had at the training center, and we both gave you know different perspectives on that. And as we're talking to the families and we're talking to the new officers, uh, you know, it, it registers, but it really truly is something that they have to go through and experience on their own. I think it's it, the awareness piece is huge. I think that's a big part of it. But the follow-up uh, as an agency to to make sure that they understand uh, and and the the supervisors. And I think you would agree, having been a patrol supervisor, a sergeant, a lieutenant, that that keeping an eye on those younger guys as they grow throughout their career and understanding what some of those red flags are is a big deal. It is. But I, I just, you just got to, you have to go through it yourself. And oftentimes you don't notice it. Someone else has it pointed out to you. But the family needs to see what those, the, those indications are and, and, and open up. And they need to talk about that. But it's like I told the, the new officers, I'm like, they're, you know, they're, they're not going, they're, or at least their families, what I told them, they're, they're not going to want to talk to you about a lot of this stuff. Right. But just be there to listen when they do want to talk about it. Right. And many times officers use humor as a coping mechanism. So we know that a lot of officers have a morbid sense of humor. Kurt, can you tell us about maybe a funny case that happened to you? Well, or some, give up any something bad, you know, stories humorous. that way. Come on. Come, just one. Just give us one. I'm not a good storyteller, but um, I'll, I'll think about that. Okay. We can but, circle back. Okay. So if somebody went back to or went to you in March of 84 and, and given you advice, what what would you wish that somebody would have told you, like, to prepare you for, besides maybe the hypervigilance? 
Does that make uh, sense? If somebody, if, if from what you experienced in your career, you're like, wow, I wish somebody would have told me about this. What would it be? Um, I don't know. I always, I always wished I had a notebook from the very beginning and wrote down all the, the fun stuff, yeah. you know, and the quotes and things. You know, I, it would be a heck of a book right now. But um, probably that um, kind of like what I, I learned with, with the, the female victim is that um, you can change a person's life for the better or the worse um, in an instant. And I know that's a quote from Covey or somebody. I know the chief talks about that in, in the um, opening. But it truly is, um, it is tr I guess it truly is real that, you know, when you handle a case, it can either be a good good situation or a bad situation. You have to do it the best you can. But you also have to realize what, how that affects somebody else. Because we go on these day and all the time. You know, so the domestic, the, you know, the, the fight, the, those things aren't new to us, but they're that big, that person's biggest deal um, for them probably, you know, may even be forever. So we have to realize that. And, and you don't realize that when you're going through it. Mm -hmm. You really don't uh, until you have something that happens that, you know, you realize that, yeah, this is a big effect on people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we, like you said, we just deal with it all the time. It's just another day. But uh, I feel like sometimes when you do get tired or frustrated, you got to take a step back and be like, this may be the, you know, the worst thing they ever deal with. And what impact am I going to leave on them? You know, what what experience they're dealing with the police are, are we going to leave on them? Or something so. that's so, that to you is so trivial. Like why are we even here? Yeah, is a big thing. Yeah, to them, absolutely. And it, yeah, you just never know anybody. That's what I've been really trying to live by lately. Is you know you don't know what people are going through, you don't know what they just dealt with or how they were raised, and and so you know especially if they're being mean or um, just not being rational or whatever, you know to take a step back and be like. Try to ha try to help them as best as possible, and not get frustrated or angry, and try to help the situation. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. And I, I think you've always done a good job of that in your career of striking that balance and and understanding, you know, both sides and <clears throat> you know whether whether it be things within the department or cases that we've worked that you know are obviously external to the agency, but that's that's a testament to you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I've had a lot of really excellent mentors, people, that, you know, above me, um, people below below me, um, like you, Brian. I've learned things from you as well. Um, it, it's, it's, all, it, it's truly a team concept here, and, and, you know, I've worked for some fantastic people. I mean, you still always remember your first sergeant. You always remember, you know, you being a sergeant um, in patrol, especially, I mean, I, I got to say that as far as the fun factor, um, that is, you know, being a sergeant in patrol is, is probably the funnest. And I came up with a story. Oh, tell us a story. <laughs> I was working uh, midnights, or, well, evenings, I guess, um, with, uh, at the time, Sergeant Weaver, and we were going to a call, and it was a, this, a naked guy in that alley. And um, so we're walking up. Guys are already there. We're just kind of, you know, 
kind of just kind of cruising up to see what's happening. Then all of a sudden, um, we see this guy walking down the alley to us. Well, we thought it was a female. She, he had a dress on, and he's walking by us. And I, I look over, and then so I hear on the radio, uh, he's left in a dress. And we go, oh. So we turn, and to chase this guy, and out of the blue, an officer name's Nate Schmidt comes by me like I am standing and I'm running and he comes by me like I'm standing still and tackles him and I'm like <laughs> when I knew I was <laughs> I was too old to be a patrolman <laughs> <laughs> Is, did we all respond to a naked guy in an alley because oh, yeah. I've been there I guess it happens oh, yeah. a lot right it, it actually I think it, it happens think. more than what people right. think I remember early on in my career naked guy well he was wearing his mother's robe which was very short and uh in an alley and it's just like man I feel like we all we all respond it, to it, that it's call. a rite of passage I guess you have to Gotta have be. your naked yeah. guy in an alley call yeah Bar naked fights guys. and naked guys Elf, in alleys. Something. Bar fights, for sure. Yeah. So do you remember when the city was, like, do you remember what were the, the parameters of the city when um, we started? We didn't, we went to the southern, the northern is the same, obviously, because we couldn't expand there. Um, but to the south, um, Brady Lane was was full, was pretty full, a little bit farther south, but 350 now VMP. Um if you go out Concord to if you went uh, west, it was gravel. I mean, it was VMP was a gravel road when I started, and if you went to the, or I'm sorry, if you yeah, if you went to the west, it was gravel. If you went to the east, it went by um, the factory out there, and it was paved, but that was it. Um, so yeah, that was all. Um, so major growth. Yeah, and coming in '52, you didn't get you know there was. I think if you came in off the of 65, there was nothing pretty much until you got to 52. You know, I mean, that was all, that's all been grown up. And, Do you remember and what everything. the population was then? I I'm going to say it was like 40, 45,000 in that area. Wow. So we've doubled, obviously, or pretty close to it, and we've doubled the police department, which, yeah. is, which is good. Yeah. And what I was told a projected for 2022 or something the other day, and I can't remember as far as Lafayette's growing, but... They keep bringing all these businesses in, you know, we're just going to keep growing and hopefully we get more spots for police officers because we'll need it. Yeah, but, for sure. So I want to talk a little bit about um, your work with juvenile programs here in Tippecanoe County because for the for Lafayette Police Department, um, you've been the steward of a lot of programs and a lot of changes that have been instrumental. So. Uh, and and not just impact this agency, but other agencies around us. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, sure. Um, through my work as a juvenile uh, lieutenant, you know, detective lieutenant, uh, I started getting involved with it in 2000. I want to say 2000 and boy, 2006 or seven um, when we when the community. Um, established a committee of stakeholders to learn and look into the possibility of us having a um, juvenile detention facility here. So um, the Juvenile Justice Committee was what it was called that time, was formed, and I was part of that. And we went through a lot of processes, and um, 
eventually, you know, we, we had a proposal for one. Uh, it was turned down by the taxpayers, which is obviously their prerogative. Um, but it, it spawned um, a lot of good, other good things that came from that. And um, during that time, Judge um, Rush, who was the juvenile judge at the time, she's now uh, on the Indiana Supreme Court, but um, she had learned about a program called JDAI, and it's, it stands for Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative. Um, Marion County had it in Indianapolis. They were the first ones in Indiana to have it. Um, so she um, started looking into that. Um, and the uh, director of Carry Home at the time, uh, she, she still is, um, Rebecca Humphrey, um, started looking into it, and we started uh, going through that process. Um, and, and that started, we actually signed on with that, that initiative in 2010. Um, and basically what that is is the stakeholders, everybody was involved in it, um, all police agencies, um, all the schools, um, faith-based people, um, DCS, um, social workers, everybody was involved in that process. And basically what that is is finding an alternative to detention for kids that are arrested. And even though we didn't get a full detention facility, the um, commissioners, um, made uh you know agreed to making an intake center which is attached and they built it attached it to the jail and basically that is um what i call a one-stop shop for our guys any juvenile that's arrested is taken there there it's staffed fully by um probation officers and then they go through through a process of risk assessment um they go through um uh inventory of, of different things and then they decide there's a there's a criteria and with a list basically is what it's called and whether they're they need to go to detention or they don't or there's a, another way of dealing with them so to me that that has really been the uh, spearhead of the of the <coughs> detention system in in uh, or in Tippecanoe County and our detentions are down almost 70%. Um, and uh, the, we, were, we were spending about a million and a half on detentions prior to this, and we're down that you know, yep. significantly. What did it look like before we had the juvenile detention center? What happened if a juvenile was arrested or detained? Well, arrest, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. If they were arrested, the officers called the probation department, and the probation department decided whether they were going to be detained or whether they were going to be released to parents. And then they, then they told the officer that, and then you just released them to the parent if that was the case, or you took them to Tippecanoe County Jail where they, they were handcuffed to a bench until there could be somebody bring them and take them to a detention facility in another county. Oh. That, that intake center has been been awesome because, you know, I was on, I started before we had that, and you would have to sit there, and a lot of times it was, yeah, go ahead and call the parent or guardian, and you would babysit that kid for a while. I mean, you know, most parents were working or you just couldn't find them. I mean, I I've, I remember sitting with a kid for a couple hours just because you couldn't get a hold of anybody to come take custody of them. So 
so to be able to take them to that facility and and let juvenile probation handle it has been worth its weight in gold for sure it's also proved i mean our our arrests are way down um you know juvenile arrests are way down juvenile recidivism rate is 20 percent less than what it used to be our court time or our processing time is used to be 90 to 90 to 120 days it's now down to 40 um so you know you the kids are met with an immediate consequence mm-hmm. parents have to come there they have to take accountability and then you know it's the process starts at that time where it used to be well we'll get to them in you know 60 days and then it's not you know by that time you know the juvenile mind you know it's over you know they they've gone and and passed it but this way they get immediate consequence they get they know what's going to happen from there on out and parents are involved from the very beginning and um it's just a, a really good so would you still like to see a detention center here the only reason I would want a detention center is is because then we can take care of our own, okay? And I, that was the big thing that we were pushing back then. Um, when we sent them to the other agencies, we're at the we're at the the um, whim of their what they give, what they give. If we had one here, they could still go to school, or we'd bring school in in you know into the facility. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel our juvenile um social services are are second to none so we know what they're going to get um you know so that would be the only reason and and it obviously does not need to be very big um i think our average daily population now in detention is three to four so um that's you know so that's that's the only reason i think it would be nice to have one. Is there still talks about it? I mean, or is it completely? Um, every now and then it's brought up, but it doesn't doesn't go anywhere. Where's the nearest one? Is it? Uh, we we use Kinsey and Kokomo, and then we use Johnson County as well. Okay. So so that kind of dovetails into the policing the team brain as well, which you've been a huge part of uh, over the years. What can you talk a little bit about that for those that may not know much about it? Uh, policing the teen brain is basically training for police officers, and it teaches them about how the adolescent brain functions, um, how it's not fully developed, it, it, uh, what is the, uh, an adolescent's priority, what, why they're risk takers, and there is a, a mental, I mean, they just, they don't care, really. I mean, so, um, and it's, it's a two-day thing, and it, it's extensive, and I've had very very good cooperation from all the agencies um this isn't just a, a me thing it it's they're really uh have taken to it um you know the and it's it's trained by um officers from the county and us and and um different things but it's it uh i think it has made a huge difference and how it came about honestly part of jdi is is a big you do data data mining you know, you look at what's going on. And we had a high rate of, um, you know, disorderly conducts, resisting law enforcement, battery on law enforcement. And a lot of those different cases, and we started looking at them, those were the cases that didn't have any other charge, you know, so they were standalone charges. And we started looking at them, we realized that it was, it was uh, when youth came in contact with officers and it went bad not you know so 
uh, we started looking at different things. Um, I had never had any training in June, you know, in, in adolescence, um, mines or, or arrests or anything. So we started looking for programs to train us um, because we knew it was different. And we found one with uh, Strategies of Youth, and that was Policing and Teen Brain. And, and we had a, all the agencies went to a, a brief um, showing, and they decided to bring it here. So, so we could we could go on and on about the things that you've had your hands involved in here uh, during your career, but and it's going to be a, a huge void that's left behind. But what are you going to miss the most? I'm going to miss um, the teamwork, watching people work <coughs> as a team, um, like especially nowadays as you know as captain of the detectives, um, which quite honestly is my dream job, and I've been able to do it for. Um, seven you know six or seven years now um but when we have a big case when we have um a homicide or something you know how everybody works together not only the detective commanders who are who are you know the case managers the detectives but we also the 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 support we get from the street crimes unit the drug task force the the patrol officers the you know csi guys is just literally amazing you know, uh, and usually there are two or three, you know, sometimes more days of intense work by everybody that, that is just truly amazing. You know, you sit back and you watch it and you think this is how it should be done. And, and it, it's just it, that I'm going to miss. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't really understand that. I mean, we've got a, a phenomenal core of detectives here at LPD, but the collaboration that takes place throughout the entire agency is is a sight to behold it really is it's impressive would you agree that we're definitely up there uh, as far as the echelon of of police departments in the state oh absolutely i i think we're the top absolutely i have not I've, i've been to a lot of agencies and very few run as well as we run i like it think that's a culture thing yes definitely patty you want to add anything he's on vacation so i'm just appreciative of him being here and we'll get him out of here I, wait I, he's still you. on the books yeah he's right. still on the books <laughs> that's Come paid, on. I'm not paid vacation hurry, that's so. paid vacation um i i know that lpd enjoys a a very good respected image across the nation and i'd like to thank you for your part in making that happen i mean it's it's everybody knows that lpd has integrity and purpose um and that's it's it's critical i mean not only in recruiting more officers but for the community and you know increasing or maintaining the community's prosperity and growth bringing more businesses in, bringing more people in and quality of life. And it, it, I mean, it's central to that. And you have to have a good police department with, I mean, staffed with good is just not, you can't, (laughs) I need a better word than that, but you know, people who care and people whose, whose hearts and minds are in the right place. I agree. And I, I think the future is very bright. I mean, you know, you have some forward thinking people, um, and you know, the, the command structure is, is top notch. And I think uh, the future's bright. 
Yeah, I mean, I want to say thanks, obviously, um, you know, personally and professionally as well, but you're part of a very rich legacy here at LPD, and it's, although it's sad to see you leave, I'm happy for the challenges that await you, and I'm sure that we all know that you're available to for have sure. lunch and chat whenever, so. Yeah, thank you. No, yeah. Honored to be uh, one of your partners, even though I've never really worked directly for you. You know, it's it's been an honor, and uh, I've always I would like to say, you know, I I like leaders that lead by example, and I think you've always been one. Um, you know, not only in the job but also outside. I always used to see you in the gym for years, right? All right. Uh, he he knew the younger Ian used to pump iron. Hey, that's my world, okay, Patty. I can't help it. <laughs> and he's always been in the gym. Yep. And I love you, it. He's you, always maintained you got a level. The eye. I you did got get the, the eye. eye. No, no. But it's fair to no. say, right, sir? That is. Always You're been right. in the gym for years and years and uh continue to to do good things and take care of yourself and, and lead by example. So thank, thank you. you. And I'm, well, I'll just tell the whole world, Kurt's my friend. Thank you for your friendship, Kurt. Thank you. You know, and I think that that's, I mean, that, that's actually a good point. I mean, we don't have to wrap up. Obviously, we can go as long as we want. But, you know, I, relationships are important. Um, and I think that, you know, you're, you're, you've always kind of set the example for that here at this agency and, and, and understood how important that was within the department. Um, and the ability to communicate and to understand different perspectives. And that's, you know, I agree with you that I think that there are um, a lot of a lot of people who share that uh, that thought process, but it's definitely going to be a void with you leaving. So it's been an honor. Thank you. It's been an honor for me as well. This has been Inside the Squad, a podcast from the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Inside the Squad is a community outreach podcast and is hosted by Specialist DNO Shields and Captain Brian Phillips of the Crime Prevention Unit within the department. On this episode of Inside the Squad, we are joined by Detective Kurt Wolf. Kurt is retiring now after 35 years of service to our community. We thank Kurt for his years of dedication to LPD and to its citizens. You can email show ideas and questions to us at podcast at lafayette.in.gov. And don't forget to join us on Instagram, Twitter, Nixle, and Nextdoor.